and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast. And today, Paul and I are recording blog number two of Project 1B. Now, in our last episode, we said that we would be sharing with you updates of Project 1B in a blog type fashion. And the first blog kicked off talking about how we found the property and the fortuitous meeting with our electrician who then introduced us to the property, which we then purchased. And we shared the trials and tribulations along the way of planning and everything else that goes through buying a commercial building with a view to refurbishing it to a residential property or converting it to a residential property. So episode number two or blog number two, and we are going to share with you where we're up to now. So the last episode finished where we had picked up the keys. We were coming up to the end of the year. We thought there's no point starting the project just before Christmas. So we had a small Christmas vacation. We came back and we were ready to hit the ground running. So, Paul, just share with us the discussions that we were having in terms of who's actually going to do the work and how we're going to actually structure that, because that was a whole thing within itself. Well, I think you probably shared with them in terms of our horror at the actual cost that we was quoted for the bill. Did you go through that? I did. We obviously had a budget when we looked to buy the building, which was like nearly a year and a half or more ago, and things have changed. And to be fair, what is challenging is that things change so much in a year, sort of post-pandemic, and then Ukraine war, gas and electric prices going through the roof, labour costs going through the roof, building materials going through the roof, availability of building materials were a problem. Obviously, all culminated in us being faced with a bill cost of almost double what we had budgeted. Yeah. It sounds crazy. It sounds as if we under-budgeted and maybe we did a little, but maybe by 10%, but not a double. Yeah. So I think in those situations, we sat down and thought it through. And I think this is where a great deal of focus comes in. And um, We knew we bought a great building. We bought it at a great price. And the desire was still to turn it into a wonderful piece of HMO accommodation in Stoke, something that we could be proud of. But the numbers just didn't stack up with interest rates going up. We couldn't borrow all the money that we wanted. We weren't too through short of end valuation. So I think my philosophy in situations like those is to stretch the time scale out. I think often people feel under pressure to deliver everything in six months or in a year, when realistically, if you don't deliver it in a year, deliver it in two years or in 18 months. The world doesn't end if you don't deliver on time. So we discussed this. We stretched the time scale out and said, let's chunk this project down. Let's break it into two phases. And let's maybe project manage ourselves. And I think I had a look at horror from Amanda. <laughs> she thought she left that all behind, project managing refurbs. And here we are looking to project manage a 20-bed refurb in Stoke. And I said, it's exciting, isn't it? And she said, absolutely not. I can think of a lot of other things to spend my time doing, but it was, you know, it made sense. Yeah. And after I talked her through what the first phase was, and we were fortunate that we had the upper two floors were already rooms, albeit needed a fair bit of work to be done. The heavy lifting was 
basically putting more bathrooms in there and knocking out a couple of walls. The ground floor was a bit tougher because there's some structural changes had to be done and rooms and stuff had to be recreated from scratch. So I said, look, we can do this. This is stuff we've been doing for years. And Amanda coined the phrase, okay, this is like the return of the Avengers. So we called up people that had done like our very first HMOs, joiners, electricians, plumbers that have worked with us over the years. And we've got a bit of a project. And what was fortuitous was that because interest rates had started to go through the roof, property market had changed. So their work had dried up because people weren't committing or they were pushing back some of their jobs. So all of a sudden, this was like a godsend to some of our guys saying, great, wonderful, you've got nothing to do. So we're happy to help you out here. So I think that was the mindset shift. We're going to break it into two halves. We're going to do the first 12 rooms and then get some income coming in and then look at when we're going to do the remaining eight or nine rooms, the second phase. The second phase could be six months later, could be 12 months later. And you can get caught up in the detail of, well, how are we going to do that second phase? And are the people going to be in the property or are we going to you know, give them reduced rent? You can get caught up in that. But we said, look, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Let's get the first phase out of the way. Let's get that up and running. And then maybe halfway through the first phase, we can start thinking about that transition in terms of whether we're going to insulate people from the noise on the ground floor or just wait a whole year before we start phase two. And I think that gave us confidence. We got the guys in, we put together a project plan. We have this snazzy project plan tool, which costs far too much for what it is. But when you need it, it's great. And we decided to put a whole bunch of things on that and time scales of when we're going to get first fixes and things like that. And it started to come together. So we started to feel quite excited about it. We did. And I think with any project, you know, most of the success of a project comes in terms of the planning to begin with. So, you know, we met with our team and we, you know, we're working off the architect's plans, but we were really going down into every detail and we check measured the whole building again. We walked through it again with all the different trades, you know, made any changes that we needed to make, agreed it on the plan. So there was a lot of planning to go through and then once we had agreed that and everybody was on board it was almost like a sigh of relief of okay let's get this thing going and everyone had a clear brief all the quotes were in we knew exactly what we were doing and touch wood it's going okay yeah i think so okay i think one of the things we recognize as well is we were not able to deliver this project as quick as our usual contractor he turned this around the first phase. he would turn this around in three months it was going to take us probably five months to turn that around. And then we started gut out process, which was quite interesting, was it not? It was. So when I say things are running smoothly, big picture, things are running smoothly. Day to day on the ground, always challenges, always challenges. So we had to obviously strip the building, first of all. So we were working with somebody who came as a recommendation from another company where they would come in and they would strip the property. So I thought, great, came in, gave the price, got the start date, ready to go. Day two... They want to change the price. They want to change the time scales. They want, they're creating all these different stories about as much more work than they thought. And I thought, oh, here we go again. This is exactly what I said to Paul. I'm not project managing this development. But, you know, it's all part of it. So you just need to get on. So needless to say that that particular company didn't even see the end of the gut out. We asked them to swiftly move on and brought somebody else in to finish the job, which happens, you know, and you just need to focus on, like you would say to me, Paul, whilst I'm having like, you know, a bit of a rant and thinking, oh, God, I can't deal with these people anymore. Paul says, come on, stay focused. You know, we need to get the glass out done by the end of the week, get somebody else in, get the skips in. Let's, you know, do it, move on and on to first fix. And I think you do just have to have that self-talk in terms of, okay, 
stay, you know, stay on task, stay on plan, don't get too drawn into the politics of the building site. And I think you're right. Once we got them out of the way and got the skips removed and the place gutted, I mean, they made an absolute mess and the neighbours weren't best pleased. And these were the neighbours that didn't want the development on their doorstep in the first place. Yeah. But we've got that cleared. And then we started to work with people that we knew. Yeah. So we spoke with our plumber. He was on board. His quote was good. He got stuck in and things started to move. Our electrician, who we've known for years, he got stuck in. And then you started seeing holes appear and pipes coming down. And, you know, we're up and running, yeah. which was brilliant. Yeah. In that initial phase, and we broke the project down on a month-by-month basis, and we sort of estimated with some guidance from the trades how long first fix would take. And I think one of the most, I still get confused some of the time, is the best order in which things are done. I think broadly we know the order, but sometimes you have too many trades in one place that are tripping over each other, or they're you know having a coffee and having a chat and talking about what a rubbish project this is or what their next gig is, or do you know this person? So often you do change the order of things to actually simplify. So that was always a front of mind. But first week fixed plumbing was one of the first things that we had going after the gut out. And they worked along with the guys on electrics, which, which was pretty good. Yes. But I think the first two or three weeks with that. And then we had, how many fights did we have with the building control officer? Fights. <laughs> I mean, it was fights. I mean, we, we, we wanted to punch him, didn't we? <laughs> Hopefully it's not this one. You know, you walk through with building control and we thought, great, everything that we want to do is in line with what building control wants us to do. Fantastic. Let's crack on. And then obviously they're coming out, you know, at interim points throughout the project. But I kind of forgot this, but I've had it on other projects as well. Every time building control arrive on site, you have to get your checkbook out. And that is how it works. So the least visits that you can have them do, the better. So the first visit was all about fire safety. And there were some suggestions that we would need to do some stuff that was rather over and above the scope for the project. Some stuff that would have been if we were a five story, you know, hotel, then maybe we would put this in. But we had to like rein them back in a little bit. And we don't need to do those suggestions. Would you be fair to say, Paul? Those were very ambitious, unnecessary and not within the realm of a three story HMO. And I think. One of the things that we've learned over the years that everything is negotiable. Broadly on the same page, we want to comply with building regs and we want the building to be safe because we have people living there and staying there. But as you rightly said, they were wanting things that were just not relevant. Not in the Lacour's Guide. Yeah. Not even a part of the new Fire Reform Act. Yeah. Just would be nice to haves. And look, we'd all like to have would be nice to haves, but somebody has to pay for those would be nice to haves. And somebody has to also service those things. So we've got a gorgeous fire protected route in the building. We've got a secondary fire exit, which we've never had before in a property. Top to bottom, external fire exit. Fantastic. We've got all the fire doors, the protected routes, the smokes, the fire alarm system, you know, the whole shebang, the fireboarding. And they wanted something extra and we just pushed back. And I think if there's any takeaway from this episode today is that going into a project, you need to know your stuff and you need to know what it is that you need to do. So when building control do come around and say, you know, wouldn't it be great to do that? You can say, yes, it would be great. But unfortunately, that's not within budget or not within the scope. It's a consideration, but it's not a absolute, you know, must do. And sometimes there's also a trade off. If something doesn't quite fit within our design, yeah, but we appreciate that all they want to do is ensure the safety for example of the property there's maybe other things that we can do to increase or beef up the safety in another part of the building which so it doesn't compromise so you know it's not a huge there's not a huge trade-offs 
but sometimes enough to make a different yeah. difference. I mean, we are very big on design and with that sometimes comes large open spaces. And they said, well, we can't have those large open spaces. And that was one of the issues. What did they want with the window? They wanted some sort of... They wanted what I believe is called an AOV, automatic open invent, I think it's called. So if the fire alarm went off, this big sort of mechanical arm would push open a window on the third storey that would allow any fire to sort of disperse through the window. So when the fire brigade would arrive, the fire is already sort of exiting the building. So I'd never heard of that before, just because we haven't done perhaps developments where that would be a standard inclusion. So, you know, we've pushed back on that. Also compartmenting all the areas. So fire, the fire brigade would like that every time you take sort of two or three pigeon steps, there's a fire door there to go through it's like when you're in a hotel corridor and you've got like six fire doors on a corridor one you know we're a hmo so that doesn't apply and two you know practically speaking all those fire doors banging people going up and down with their washing and their food it's just not suitable and doesn't look great so we're having some discussions around that but that wasn't even really the biggie because on one of the other visits i think it was the visit just before last we had to start taking ceilings down that we hadn't planned to take down because we needed to insulate parts of the building that weren't accessible through the loft hatches and i'll put a picture i think i have put a picture on social media i'll see if i can put a couple of links in the show notes here that whilst we were sort of easily halfway through the first fix coming towards getting the place plastered ready to start second fix we've had to start pulling down lath and plaster ceilings and the place is covered in black dust so again building control come around get your checkbook <laughs> that was probably a two or three thousand pound visit for wasn't it and you know this comes back to when you're doing your financial planning to have a reasonable contingency there's always things that you forget there's always things that are surprises and you should have a 10 to 15 percent contingency on your costs sure. so you can dip in that into that from time to time I think one of the most difficult things is actually, again, finding labourers to do that work. And, you know, without politicising the labour market at the moment, there's a bunch of people out there that either want excessive amount of money to do general labour, or they're just not available at all. Yeah. And remember, you had a conversation with someone who said, yeah, fine. It was a recommendation from one of our housekeeping teams or housekeeping owners. And they recommended someone who said, yeah, fine, we'll do it at £120 a day. Yes. And that changed from £120 a day for him to £180 a day. And he wanted to bring his mate. Yeah. And he was, it was like, take it or leave it. Yeah. So, he said leave it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and these things can be a little bit demotivating when you're in the middle of a conversion, but it's actually part of the course. So, so the other thing that jumps to mind was it was a small thing, but it was... A bit of a peculiarity. We we normally have quite fancy fire doors in our buildings, but the previous owner had eleven or twelve brand new fire doors. But they're the really basic fire doors with no sort of design. And you know, the question we ask: Do we throw those and replace them with new funky fire doors, or do we work with what we have and try and come up with a way of you know making them a little bit more attractive to the eye? We went for the latter, you know, to save on costs. And we haven't seen one yet, but our joiner came up with a bunch of ideas around using beading and different sort of covering to make what looked like a very flat, boring fire door into something which is like, wow, it's got great design, it's got pictures on there, et cetera, et cetera. Really looking forward to seeing that when they actually finish one or two. I hope it comes out okay. Well, I'm going to see those this week. And you're always balancing design against cost. 
and then against the practical elements. So, you know, adding insulation, this additional insulation that we need to add into the lofts, like the slopes of the loft, it doesn't help design. If anything, it hinders it because it drops the ceiling level. It costs us more money, so it, it's a, a effect on the budget. But practically speaking, obviously, it does help in terms of insulating the building, looking after the tenants and reducing our overall cost because we're going to be paying the bills of that. So you just have to try and balance it, you know, balance it out and make the best decisions that you can with the resources that you've got available to you at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you're under pressure, it pushes you to make good decisions, to go hunting for options. Yeah. If you think about like, the last title that we used on the last large age of old jobs was courtesy of this contractor. And Tyler's normally straightforward, but this contractor, Tyler, was, you know, very complicated. It was a female Tyler. She was as quick, the quickest I've ever seen, but very high maintenance. Do you remember her last time? She refused to do certain types of tyres. And she only wanted to use white grout. Yeah. And we said, you don't like our new gold glittery grout that we want to use. And she yeah. wasn't impressed with gold glittery yeah. grout, was she? Yeah. yeah. She still took the remainder. So we didn't get the... <laughs> we, ordered, we, we ordered twice as much as we needed and, and that gold glittery grout went missing didn't it but there we yeah. go we pulled in four different quotes for tylers because they were going to be tying you know kitchenettes two kitchens and 12 bathrooms 12 bathrooms in order to get what was more what was competitive it's quite interesting but some didn't turn up some quoted some were expensive and you've got to go back and forth yeah because you're looking to get the best deal best quality best speed and what we needed was speed Yes. So we wanted someone who could bring a small team of tilers rather than sort of one man and his dog who's going to take... She had a dog the other time. <laughs> in the uh, house. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you wanted a team to go in there and yeah. blitz it. Yeah. And so that's going to be starting soon. We did that with the plastering. We had... This is the first time we've had a team of plasters on a job. Was it like six guys? Yeah, it was great, to be honest, to see that just that many people on site getting the job done. It was rather than one, you know, one guy there with his trowel just taking like, you know, three weeks to plaster a house or whatever... It was really good. And they like knocked out eight eight rooms almost and lots of drop ceilings and so on in like five days. We were really happy with that. We haven't talked about the drop ceilings. Are we talking about the drop ceilings? No. Are we talk about the drop ceilings. Okay. So the building that we have, Project 1B, is gorgeous and it has lots of old fixtures and fittings and so on. And it has very high ceilings. I want to say the ceilings are like 3.6, yep. 3.8. We're nearly pushing four meter ceilings in some of the rooms. Gorgeous. Lots of co big ceiling roses. But where the past owner had added in on suites and moved some stud walls around and so on, the gorgeous old fixtures and fittings had sort of been hacked at a little bit. Plus, the plasterers were having, you know, nightmares about having to plaster four, four meter ceilings. We were having nightmares about how much it would cost to heat a room with four meter ceilings. So we decided that it would be best to drop the ceilings. One, so we can add, pack them with insulation. Two, we could run all of our services through them. So our electrical wires, our soil pipes, our, our hot and cold pipe. So the plumbers and electricians were loving that. We would end up with a nice finished room without all the sort of hodgepodge of old, beautiful but old coving and so on. And yeah, it'd be less area to paint, less area to tile in the bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the joiners knocked that out pretty quickly. We've got the ceilings all apart from one room, which just has the most gorgeous ceiling. So we said, okay, we're going to keep that one. Let's do three because there was one joiner. Yes. Yeah, because his colleague was doing more on the electrics and he just got on with the joining. So our friend Neil, he had a contraption, which was like, a robot that would help him whole pieces of timber and plasterboard while he would, you know, screw it in with his electric screwdriver. And yeah. And we were amazed at the speed yeah, he that he was knocking stuff up. Yeah. And then obviously we now have to insulate that. Yeah. The net benefit is to us because a good insulated property does save us money, especially in these 
horrible times of high costs. Yes, we're going to spring and summer, but after that, it's going to be autumn and winter. It gets cold. And yeah. We don't know what the cost of electricity and gas is going to be at that time. So, I mean, we only didn't drop. Was it two ceilings we didn't drop? Room 15, we didn't drop. And just and then just the landing, yeah. that gorgeous, big, open space landing. Right. So that was anything. So we dropped, had to drop, what, 12, 12 rooms? Yeah. Like two hallways? Yeah. Which is quite a lot of stuff. And they knocked, we really knocked those yeah. out, which was absolutely brilliant. The other thing as well, in speaking to the contractors, and this is the message for our listeners, for any budget project, big or small, is that we're in a funny period because people are talking about this inflationary period. And I think some suppliers try and pull the wool over your eyes and take advantage of you. So our guys were going into different wholesalers for material. They might go to Travis Perkins, and then after they might go to Juicens on different days. Maybe two different prices. Yes. And the difference between one another could have been as high as 30%. Yeah. And that's really significant. So we were appreciative of that. We bought some of the stuff ourselves. But even when we did some early research on our bathroom, we went through about five or six different suppliers just to compare taps and trays and things like that to find one that was competitive that met our budget and hope that when we order it'll still be the same price yeah and you have to be and even when the sort of the not the main contractor but a guy there who's doing quite a lot of the work he would say okay you want that ceiling insulated it would be you know 1200 pounds let's say and we're saying okay how much is labor how much is materials and then i'm trying to work out okay what do you think i can get the materials at not because i want to buy them necessarily but i just want to make sure that one, we're getting a good price. One, he's not you know, taking the pee. And just to really get a handle on the costs, which I think is important. But for those listeners who haven't project managed a property before, not even a house, never mind something a lot larger than that, let's just give a quick run through in terms of sort of the process that we've taken so far. So first phase is obviously gut out. After gut out, you mentioned that we're then looking at first fix electrics and first fix plumbing. But there is a little bit before that. Before first, it's electrics and plumbing. You're just looking at, is there any reconstructing we need to do? Is there any walls we're removing, steels that are going in, concrete lintels that are going in, stud walls that are coming out, so that when the first fix electrics and plumbing is going in, they can get into the right places. The sort of gut out, any restructuring work, first fix plumbing, first fix electrics. We then actually do a lot of joinery work because we dropped all the ceilings, which is quite unusual for if you're doing something inside a regular house. Then we needed to then build all the en-suites. So that was a fair job. We're restructuring, you know, where we want the en-suites to go. Yeah. And just on that point, it was interesting. I mean, you had a couple of three meetings with the plumber and they, you had to walk through how they were getting waste out and where they were redirecting pipes. One, to reduce cost and two, to reduce the impact. I mean, some of these waste pipes are huge. You walk into a room and the waste pipe is like going on the ceiling down the side. It was like, what is this? This yeah. is like a real eyesore. And so it was quite an important part of the process to get that first fixed plumbing routing right alongside where we thought we wanted bathrooms and the positions of toilets and things like that. And that was quite a long process. You did about three or four trips. Totally. And I... I remember just saying to the plumbing contractor, okay, let's start at the top and let's walk down. Walk me through this building. Show me where everything is going. Show me what routes you're taking. We did. We probably did that over and over again just to make sure that this whole thing was, you know, 100% accurate. Because there's nothing worse for a contractor than you give a brief and then you come in and then you're chopping and changing. And I've chopped and changed on projects before and I've peed off builders before and I didn't want this project to be like that. I remember Paul saying to me, Amanda, you've done that three times. You've measured that same thing three probably, times. Probably but I said, look, I just need to get this thing right in terms of first fix. And then the rest of the thing, and to be yeah. fair, 
it's just then you're just all downhill from there. They can just get on with it. But I'm there and I'm marking everything and the shower's going here and I'm measuring all the trays. Do I want an 800 tray? Do I want a 1,000 tray? Because if you want a 1,000 or versus 800, if you want your shower in the middle, you've got to tell your contractor from the beginning where to put his pipes. So there we go. So we then went into construction all of the en-suites. When, we've, when we think that the house has got all the wiring in place, all the pipes in place, all the walls now in place, we now need to close up. And that's a big part of it. So closing up means pack everything with insulation, board it all up, ready for the team of plasters to come in with their handiwork and skim it all. One thing that caused a little bit of a headache, and that was windows. I cannot forget about the windows. We went back to a window company that we used years ago. And it was literally like the return of all our old suppliers. And, you know, you're, it's great that they're still in business. And we went back to them and they came out and they criticised every single window in the building. And we just need to make people listening aware is that we've got some old sash windows, yeah. some beautiful old but poorly functioning sash windows with a hodgepodge of a few double glazing around the back. So it is, the yeah. windows are a bit of an issue there, aren't they? So they came out, the initial quote, it was more than we thought it would be. And they had padded it with some extra fixes that we didn't think were necessary. And we sort of brought that back. What is still shocking to me is where the building is located, literally spitting distance, there's a window company. And we've driven past and it looked closed and... By all account, they're not a small company. So we drove past, it's open. I pop in and say, look, we've got a dozen or so windows that need replacing, someone needs repairing. It's across the road from you. We're first fix for plumbing electrics. We're looking at doing the windows in the next six, six weeks or so. Are you up for it? <laughs> yeah, that was the answer. And I'm thinking, that's just let me tell you, you are a window company. I know that I can see some doors there. But it was like yeah, okay, fine. You send me the details. Here's my card. Send the details. And you know when you have a meeting with someone and you know that you're going to send the details, you're not going to hear from them. And guess what? We didn't hear from them. Yeah. And that makes me a little bit sad because good old stuff, you know, it's not the most wealthiest part of the world. And there's business that people are losing out. Anyway, we had two companies in. We sort of pitted them against each other in terms of getting a competitive price. We managed to get a further discount from our preferred supplier. He was comfortable with that. He wanted the business, but he wanted a bit of money up front, which was fine. I understand that in these times. And plus, we've dealt with them before. Had we not dealt with them before, we would have been a little bit more careful on that because we have quite strict rules with regard to advanced payments. But one of the strategies we used was that your delivery time is too long. It's too late. That's why you haven't got the business. And lo and behold, he said, we've just had a cancellation. And I said, come on, we've heard that line before, right? I don't want to agree this with you. And all of a sudden, you're back to the original timescale. He said, no, you can write in blood. So we took him on his word, went with him, and the window should be going in mid-April, which is yeah. which is good. We really should have had them in by now. That was our fault for not really progressing that quick enough, forgetting that the lead time on windows can be quite, you know, quite long. Luckily, the walls where the windows are going on to actually don't need plastering. So that hasn't really held up anything, the fact that they're going in a little bit later. But I would say it's probably taken us, if you think that we would have started, let's say, I don't know, 8th of January or something, you know, it's into the second week of January. And we were at first it's completed, ready for plastering, pretty much at the end of Feb. 
we're going to the first week of March. So let's call it seven or eight weeks to get the place gutted, all the first fixing, all the reconstructing, the joinery, the ceilings, rebuild on the en suites. I don't think that's bad going. No, and we're on schedule. We're a little bit behind the plaster, a little bit late, but we're broadly on schedule. So I think where we are now, with the first fixes in, the plastering of the first floor done, we're now starting to plaster the second floor. Our communication is that tilers are coming in first week of April, and you know, which is great. All we need is some tiles. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have we walked around tile shops? I know I'm probably the culprit here, and I walk up and those up and down those aisles, looking at those tiles from every single angle you can think of. I'm happy. I'm not happy. Oh, that's too much cost per square meter. I always have to ask you to remind me what's our budget on that. Yeah. Because, you know, our bathrooms are relatively small. It is an HMO. So the bathrooms are sort of two square meters, maybe a little bit larger. Comes in the bigger rooms. But you want the tiles to, to pop. That's always been yeah. our trait. And similarly, the kitchens as well. Yeah. So I'm now getting a little bit anxious. And I now need to go and look for tiles. And we had a running with our last builder. And he said to us, Paul, when we do a refer, all the tiles are the same. You've just come with six boxes of tiles for six different en-suites in different colours. And now you're telling us you want different grout. We're not happy. <laughs> and different colour silicon. <laughs> and different colour silicon. So, yeah, we are quite particular in our bathroom. So we need to get moving on that. And then we have different colour this and different colour that. Yeah. I have some great ideas for the bathroom. We should have a popcorn just on the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll yeah, really we, can that. we can do that. Well, the one thing as I think we draw this to a close, that we didn't mention about that took place in within this sort of first fix period is the design. So we're working with a, an external interior designer to just get even more juices flowing because Paul is incredibly creative and can create amazing spaces. I don't wish to take any of the credit for how beautiful our properties turn out. That's all Paul. But he's working with an external designer just to really make this very snazzy, let's say. And, and now choosing the tiles, whilst the tiles are saying, like, come on, choose the tiles, get going. We can't just choose anything because it has to be in line with the design scheme. And we're planning or you're working with our amazing interior designer on. So if you are on a project that is sizable, even a small one for some people, but mainly if you have a budget for it, bringing in an external interior designer to help with the design is important at the very beginning because they may bring in some stuff that you need to let your builders know about in terms of lighting, positioning, sockets, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're going to have, we were thinking of having some hanging lights and, you know, sort of by the side of the beds. And she said to us, there are some practical problems with it. People pull them. Yeah. Um, he pulls down half the ceiling. Yeah. Probably never thought of that. And it creates a bit of a peculiar shadow. So she has some really good technical knowledge. So I think the interior designer is access sort of guardrails for us so we don't go off and do really silly things. We like a bit of colour, as people have seen some of our properties know. And she pulls together a palette where those colours don't look absolutely crazy and there's some, you know, sort of connectedness there. But one of the big things I'm hoping for is on the furniture. Oh, I do not want to go through you know, 12 beds. I'm not going to IKEA anymore. <laughs> I mean, 12 colours, yeah. 12 this, 12 that. And she's really good. Yeah choosing and sourcing ad hoc bits of furniture and she said the secret is to buy bits of furniture new and seconds and then she came out with this phrase something like uplifting furniture i didn't, I didn't understand what she was talking about he says you get oh, upcycling upcycling yeah yeah and she said, you get a chair a really boring bit of chair and you dip it in paint and you use a funky color and she said it was like upcycling or like side of that i'm not doing that. Side of that you will find someone no, to do she's that got people that can do that okay fine but that's the whole process and you know designers don't do things in a hurry generally speaking 
and they charge by the hour. So that's a whole process that we're now moving into. And then I've just had a message from the decorator and they say, when can we get on site? When do we start our painting? Because they're trying to schedule. And they're coming with this these huge spray canisters to spray the walls. I can't bear telling him that he need to come with one of those big wallpaper tables. Because the wallpaper <laughs> <and> paint. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting. So that's where we're at. So we're sort of, you know, fully past, well, at first fix slash plastering. So I think our next episode update will perhaps be once we're starting second fixing. Maybe I'll share some photos in terms of ideas of design of how the place might look. We did actually have some of our listeners come and visit the projects before we started. We had probably 20 or so investors from Singapore come and walk the property. So if you're listening, which I know some of you do are avid listeners, I will share some photos so you can see the progress updates more than likely on on my Instagram. So you can just see how things are going. But yeah, as we progress it through and start the second fix, we'll do another blog update. Blog number three. I think probably where we are now, probably mid-April will be good because we would have had the windows in, the tilers would have been in, um, some of the second fixes in. And we'll have a good idea in terms of when paint is going to start. And we probably would have had a couple of arguments in terms of what oh, many, tiles many. we're going to have. And I'm changed our mind. I thought I, th- I thought the path was over here. No, Paul, we agreed it was over here. No, we didn't. No, everything is going where I am put it. Trust <laughs> me on that one. I've spent so much time sort of designing the bathrooms and so on. Everything's going just where it is. All right. We hope you enjoyed it. Project 1B, you know, we'll keep you updated and see you on the next episode. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website, www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.